You're listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. If you want to listen to us in real time, you can stream our show live weekdays at 9 and 11 a.m. Central. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning, I'm Carrie Miller. This is NPR News. Coming up, high hopes yet again for turnout among young voters. Will this be the election in which they vote in higher numbers? Younger voters, I want to hear from you as Ken Rudin joins us. If you're 18 to, let's say, 30 years old, are you voting for the first or second time? What's activating you as a voter? And if you don't vote, what discourages you from going to the polls? So young voters love to fill up the phone lines as Ken Rudin joins us because we're talking about high numbers of eligible and registered young voters who don't end up turning out of the polls on Election Day or even in early voting. So I want to hear from you about that if you're a voter between 18 and 30. 651-227-6000. You can tweet me at NPR. But first to Ken Rudin, the political junkie, joins us from Cincinnati, Ohio. Ken, good talk to you. How are you? Good morning, Kerry. Uh, I, I'm Since we spoke um, last Monday... There have been pipe bomb devices delivered to high-profile Democrats and then this terrible, deadly shooting in Pittsburgh at a synagogue. And a lot of observation here that this is only going to add to the tension that Americans are experiencing ahead of this midterm election. And I wonder if you're picking that up in Ohio. Well, um, that's a good question. I mean, nobody seems discouraged about voting. There's a lot of things at stake here. There's a big gubernatorial race. Uh, uh, that that both parties are heavily contesting. This is a state, Ohio's a state, where Donald Trump won by eight points, but his numbers are not nearly as uh, gaudy as they were in 2016. And I have seen no discouraging about it. It, uh, Of course, the news is terribly discouraging, and the news about Donald Trump is discouraging, given the fact that while he, while after both events, both both the, the, the arrest of the pipe bomb, the alleged a uh, person who sent the pipe bombs and the, after the uh, after the uh, the murder of uh, 11 Jews in Pittsburgh, he tried to say some com- com- uh, comforting words, and then it was followed almost immediately by the same old, same old attack. So, so he is not the unifier in chief, and uh, that that people desperately need at this time. But maybe you don't expect anything different from Donald Trump. But again, we have a week to go before the election. And everybody's nerves seem to be on edge. I I was reading something that David Graham wrote in The Atlantic this morning, and the headline, and I retweeted this, is after the Pittsburgh shooting, the nation turns for consolation and unity to a president who has struggled with both. Do you you have any, any insight, Ken, having been a political observer for a long time, about why President Trump struggles to play that role? Well, you know, I mean, of course, you can compare. You can you can go back to you know Bill Clinton after Oklahoma City and George W. Bush, Bush after nine eleven and and Barack Obama after the countless uh, gun uh, handgun uh, assaults and, and and violence. And you can say, well, of course, Donald Trump is not them. But of course, Donald Trump was not elected to be like them. He was always elected to be different because he always has been different. This is who he's been his whole life. He's always been somebody who likes the combat, who likes the the attack mode. He's not been, you know, the comfort in chief. And even, I mean, but even within minutes of both times, it just seems like he feels that this is a personal attack on him when the, when the person who's arrested 
the alleged uh, the person who who allegedly sent the pipe bombs turned out to be uh, a Trump supporter uh, of the highest degree, wearing his "Make America Great" hat again at rallies. Uh, you know, uh, uh, covering his van with attack signs and, and, and uh, crosshairs of Hillary Clinton and CNN. Donald Trump will insist, and his supporters will insist that. You know, his rhetoric has nothing to do with it. It's the media making a big deal of it. And this is who Donald Trump has been all his life. He's been the attacker in chief even before he wasn't president. And any feel any sense that any accusation that he's starting this or he's the aggressive one uh, will will be returned in kind by his supporters and by the president himself. So so this is who he is. And and, you know, we need somebody different. You know, more now, more than ever. But, you know, as we've seen both after these two horrific attacks, the arrest on Friday, the murders on Saturday, the president still goes back to tweeting as usual and even attacking the people who received the pipe bombs, the Maxine Waters, the George Soros's. That has not changed at all. Yeah, I want to say this, Ken, that um, while the tone of the rhetoric that comes from the president and the Oval Office is definitely harder edged and demeaning, more demeaning at times than I, I than I can think of in in history. You know, this is th- these kinds of shootings have been with us for years and years. So the fact that there is mass violence is not new under President Trump's watch. The question really is, and everybody's struggling with this, is is the kind of sometimes demeaning, often harder-edged rhetoric that he indulges in, changing the culture somehow and activating people who are now politically motivated with this violence. And I think that's really hard to de- to decide right now in the midst of this. It'll be something that political historians are, are thinking about for a while to come. Do, do you have a thought on that? Yeah, no, no. What you say is absolutely true. There have been anti-Semitic attacks in this country for a long time. There have been, uh, 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 you know, uh, politically inspired things uh, that's going on for a long time. But as, as far as anti-Semitism, the ADL put out, I think it was the ADL put out a, a study uh, in the last day or so that said that anti-Semitic attacks rose 57 percent from 2017 uh, to from 2000. 16 to 2017, of course, in the advent of Donald Trump's uh, election, that everybody who received the pipe bomb, everybody who received the pipe bomb, the Barack Obama, the Hillary Clintons, the Maxine Waters, the, you know, Eric Holders, the CNNs, all of them were uh, were attacked and, and continued to be attacked by President Trump in the, in the worst crimes. Hillary is evil. George Soros is evil. Yes, and then it politically inspired attacks in the past, and yes, it's, it's we don't have a, a, a proud history on that case, but we also have never had a president who called these people out by their names as evil, and all of them received pipe bombs. Did Trump tell this person to do that? No, but he inspired that kind of ugliness. We saw, I mean, there was a tweet last week by Kevin McCarthy, who's the House Majority Leader. He said, we could not allow Soros, Steyer, and Bloomberg to buy this election. All three happen to be Jews. All three happen to be multimillionaire Jews. And of course, he since deleted it after the attack of the the, uh, the attack in Pittsburgh. But these kind of 
either dog whistles or talks about globalists. We have, yes, yes, we've seen violence in the past, but there's a certain culture that seems to have changed this country in some degree since 2016. And I don't know how you could avoid it. Ken Rudin with us, the political junkie. He's in Cincinnati, Ohio this morning, and we're talking about the political landscape, some of the issues that voters are thinking about as we uh, are now a week and a day out from Election Day here in the midterms. And I want to take some calls for Ken about what we're going to talk about for the rest of the hour, which is, are young voters going to fulfill the potential that we've been hearing about for election after election? Some say young voters are activated in the midterms in a way that they haven't been before. But we'll figure out and we'll take some calls here on that. Sorry for that tone. Yes, that was your piercing for me, too. 651 227 6000 800 We'll see if we can get Ken back on the line. Ken, you still there? Yeah, I never Okay. Left. Wow. I don't know what that was, but uh, I hope it wasn't as piercing in your ear as it was for mine. Let's go to the phones here to Andrew in Minneapolis. Hi, Andrew. How old are you? Hi. Good morning. I am 29 years old, so kind of at the tail end of the window you asked for. Um, but I will be voting in these midterm elections. And um, I just wanted to mention quick that I haven't really voted um, in many elections, not much since 2012. And I feel this election is different. Um, it's much more tangible to see the, um, the change, I think, that can be made when you get out and vote because um, the, party, the parties have become so polarized, I think, to both extremes. Um, and also I think that millennials, you know, we're the biggest number in the workforce currently. There's a lot of power there that I think people in that generation are starting to realize and that voting actually does make a difference. Because I think, so, like me, a lot of them felt more cynical about it. Yeah. So, so Andrew, just to repeat this, you voted, what, in 2012, but you did not vote in any of the midterms after that or the presidential election in 2016. Is that right? Correct. Ken, what do you make of that? Well, you know something? I mean, look, I mean, it, 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 by all accounts, the two presidential candidates who ran in, in 2016 were the most unpopular and most disliked candidates we've ever had. I mean, whatever you think about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and there are admirers of both, the polls showed at the time that they had deep, deep they were deeply flawed candidates and they were deeply unpopular. So, so, you know, the turnout, the, the decline in turnout from 2012 to 2016 made a lot of sense. Um, but the other things that a lot of people are concerned about, about whether they, their vote counts or not, is the fact that, you know, there are a lot of people looking at hackings into the systems that make me uh, not count. There are, we saw a story in Georgia where some 53,000 uh, voter registration applications, mostly from African Americans, may not be counted because, well, because of one reason or another. So, so for all the people like Andrew who is excited about this election and will come out to vote, I have heard from other people who are discouraged and fear that why show up if their vote is not going to matter 
And that's the most frightening thing of all. Ken, uh, we're getting a lot of interference and we're getting this ear piercing tone from your phone. I'm going to let you go a little early today. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry. and yeah, and well, you're in a hotel in Cincinnati, Ohio, so it happens. This was a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. To add your voice to our discussion, you can call in at 800-242-2828 or tweet Carrie at K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. And if you miss us live, you'll find all of our shows by subscribing to this podcast. If you have questions, you can email us at talk at npr.org.